Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right, agriculture, the business we work in, the business we love. This episode is one you're going to want to share with your non-ag friends because we're talking about the farm bill. That's right. This episode is titled Farm Bill, Facts, Fights, and Moving Forward because it's all about the farm bill. You've heard about it in the news. It was big this week. It's always big in the industry that we work in. So today we're talking about the farm bill. I've got a very special guest. He's special because he's my brother. You've probably even heard me make jokes about him. He's my USDA employee brother that also is a horseman. Welcome to the show, Eric Mason. Thank you for having me, Damien. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you coming on. So yeah, folks, this is my brother. He's number seven. I'm number nine in the lineup. He is a horse guy. We forgive him for that. It's a sickness after all. You don't blame people for having lupus. You feel sorry for them. That's how we look at the equine owners. Eric Mason, tell me about your job. You are a USDA guy and today's guest because the farm bill impacts you as you implement it. Well, um, I cover just one county um, in all the counties in the United States, so it's just you know one small sector, but the producers are we work with daily and yearly, so it's um, important for us to understand and know how to implement the policy that Washington, D.C. puts forth for us to um, take care of our local producers and assist uh, in their daily operations. Let's go big picture here because some of our listeners might say, wait a minute, what the heck's going on here? Because again, I want you, dear listeners, this is one that you can share with your suburban friends, the folks you get together on the patio and drink with, whatever, because we're going to talk about the Farm Bill, why it matters to them as well as why it matters to anybody. Eric Mason obviously my brother, and a 32-year employee of the United States Department of Agriculture. Let's start there because a lot of folks might say, I don't know, I, I know the USDA puts a sticker on my meat that I buy at the grocery store. I know the USDA um, has some other stuff they do. Give a quick bird's eye view, what does happen with the USDA, and then you talk about your office. Most people don't, don't understand that either. Well, obviously, as you said, there are um, many faces um, to USDA. The meat inspection obviously is probably the most uh, out front foremost you know, for the common everyday person to see and, and know that USDA exists. But with ours, um, the conservation programs, the commodity programs is just one factor that we implement in the FSA. And um, try to, I guess, keep it equal and right for everybody and so that everybody knows the procedures and the laws set forth. If you're an ag producer, you understand this. If you're in the business of ag, you may not fully uh, be familiar. In where we live in Indiana, every county has a farm service agency office. That is your USDA local office. And then as population gets more sparse, if you went west or different parts of the country where there's just less people per county, we might have regional offices for the United States Department of Agriculture. My brother Eric runs one county office because we're pretty dense around here, <laughs> densely populated that is, and we have a lot of agriculture. So all the programs that you've heard about... 
All of the things you have heard about, dear listener, whether you are involved or not, run through these offices. The United States Department of Agriculture does a ton of stuff. They do that with about 1%, we've discovered, of our federal budget. So that you want to understand big picture here. What do you want to understand? Big picture. The farm bill, the farm bill is really the funding for the United States Department of Agriculture. Am I right? Correct. Okay. That pays you. Correct. That pays all the people in your office and also carries out all the programs. And the programs are where we get a lot of critics of our business. We'll get into that in a minute, but let's first cover what happened this week. Because what happened this week, legislatively, politically, is what happens all the time. What did you hear in your job that happened this week? Well, only that the farm bill um, was uh, did not pass the House on this initial vote, which over the years we, we see that year in and year out with the new farm programs, where the initial bills are debated and argued in Washington, D.C., and you know policy is uh, altered and changed as everybody in the ag sector uh, tries to get uh, their two cents into Washington, D.C. So if you're listening to this and you are familiar, if you're listening to it and you're just a little bit familiar, maybe to shed a little light on it, this is one of the few things that comes up for debate every five years. There's budgeting, there's uh, always some spending arguments, but like, for instance, healthcare. Now, you know, Obamacare was a big deal, but that was set to stay in there. It wasn't supposed to be renewed every five years. The farm bill is every five years, is, it's supposed to be renewed. And then it takes all this haggling and all this adjusting. And what happened this week folks, is it got defeated. Now, depending on which media you read, if you read the New York Times, Washington Post, or any left-leaning news media such as those two, you heard that the Republican Party is in turmoil. One of them said that they were clawing, clawing over the argument. Anyway, you read more um, middle ground, let's say the Wall Street Journal. The headline reads, House rejects farm bill as some conservatives withhold support. What happened this week, the farm bill that was crafted uh, and then uh, obviously controlled by a Republican-written uh, and Republican-controlled House, brought it to a vote. It failed 198 to 213. There's about 36 Freedom Caucus members. They are your old Tea Party folks. They're pretty um, somewhere between libertarian and, and real conservative folks. And they withheld their support of this. Not one Democrat, you should know this, not one Democrat voted for the Farm Bill. Not one. Because they reject the fact that there's going to be a work requirement. So a work requirement was put in by Trump and the Congress that wrote this bill up and saying if you're going to get food stamps, which is part of, which is a big part of it, Eric probably can tell you a little bit about that. USDA, that is what the Farm Bill funds, how much of it is for free food? 80% is roughly for the food programs, which would be food stamps, WIC, women, women, infant, and children, and the school lunch programs in this country. Which are also no school breakfast programs. Breakfast, and even school, summer Seven. vacation, go get a bag of food. Yes. 80% of the United States Department of Agriculture budget is for free food. We feed about 41 million people through SNAP. That's the Supplemental uh, Assistance 
nutrition assistance program. And that, again, isn't even including the free lunches, free breakfast, WIC, et cetera, et cetera. So what happened this week, folks, lawmakers voted it down. Every Democrat voted against this one because of the work requirements. And then 30 or so Republicans didn't support it because they didn't like the immigration thing. And you're now saying, what the hell does immigration have to do with the United States Department of Agriculture? I know some immigrants that work in agriculture. Yeah, that was not it. I know that there's migrants that go out and, and work in the fields in, in California. Yeah, that was not it either. I know that there's some immigrants that milk cows at dairies. Yeah, that wasn't it either. You know what it was? It was a bastardized, screwed up mess, which is what always happens with every farm bill. They throw in some extra measure, and I will tell you how it went this time. 690,000 people are now enrolled in the United States uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program. You remember that? You've heard of DACA? That was an Obama-era thing. So the 30 people that jumped out of supporting the Farm Bill did so because they want there to be tougher enforcement of immigration, and they want this uh, 690,000 people to not be legal through the DACA program. So this had nothing to do with food, had nothing to do with agriculture, had to do with fighting over immigration. And this is why agriculture gets used, as always, as a bargaining chip, as a hammer. You know, hey, we're going to punish your country, we're going to not let you get food. Hey, we're going to punish you. Once again, we're always caught in the crosshairs. So that's what happened this week. Big question, this has to be done by September 30th. What I read... And what I saw says we may not have a farm bill by September 30th. Eric Mason, 32-year USDA employee, Farm Service Agency, will we have a farm bill? Yes, we will. They will do something or it reverts back to the 1950 uh, permanent ag law. And nobody really wants that. Um, there's safety factors in it, but it did not cover everything. So, More importantly, what happened in 2014? Dear listeners, you may or may not remember this. This just happened five years ago. They couldn't come to an agreement in 2014. What happened? Um, we finally got our farm bill in the spring of 2015 and uh, signing up producers and um, for two years at the same time. So we're going to have a farm bill. We're either going to have this one till September 30th, then this one is extendable by one more year, and then if all else fails and if everybody's fighting and clawing, depending on which media you read, that means that we'll revert back to something from the 19, I think it was from 1946 or 51 or something like you said. It's post-World War II, but just barely. Okay, so we will have a farm bill. Uh, is all this just posturing? Uh, as usual. I mean, yeah, it's... The fight goes to you know the House and Senate and everybody that wants, as you said, the um, their portion or what they want added in or you know taken out, and so the the trades start happening with the Congress and Senate. So we said we we're going to give you farm bill facts, fights, and moving forward. We've given you the fight. This one comes down almost completely to immigration, and then on the other side of it. There are the Democrats that do not want this farm bill because it was going to require a work, uh, a work training or work requirement to get your food stamps. Now, I want to put that in perspective also. I've been reading up on this. Even if it was implemented the way Trump and the Republicans had it, the work requirement meant that about two of the 41 million might lose their free food. Two of 41 million 
me do the math there for you, that's about 5%, might lose their free food. And also, you don't even have to actually go to work. You can just go to job training and still get your free food. Uh, of course, you're going to hear my opinion on this. There's a tremendous amount of waste. Uh, there's a lot of blown money in our, in our nation's capital. There are 47 job training programs at the federal level through nine different agencies. So this was going to mean that if you want to get your free food, your welfare money, you had to go get job training. So I got a little bit of a problem with this whole idea, this posturing, if you will, that, oh my goodness, a work requirement is going to starve babies. It's going to make old people unable to buy food. No, that's not the case. A little background also. 48 million people were on food stamps as of uh, between 2009 and 2013 when we had the Great Recession. That number's down to about 41 million. About 41 million Americans, which is 13% of the United States. 13% of the country is on food stamps right now. 1% of the country farms. So it's not a farm bill, folks. It's a food bill. 3.2 million farmers out of 320 million people farm 41 million out of 320 million, that's 13%, are on food stamps. Eric, other thoughts for you on what the Farm Bill is and is not? The, uh, the whole factor that you hear from the ag sector um, is the safety net. So there's a price floor. So there's some stability out here at the local level. So a farm family can know, all right, Every time there's a trade war, you know, our industry is thrown into the middle of it. If there's a price floor for crops so that they can go out here and farm and be able to pay their bills and take care of their family at the end of the year, that's, I think, the biggest factor that they need to look at. And, you know, then you get into world trade, and that's a whole other sector I know you're going to go into, but the... Bottom line is still to take care of their families and their family farms. And as you said, I think before, with the corporate farms, well, there's a lot of family farms out here in this country, and they are still the majority of the ag production. 97% of farms in the United States of America are family-owned, operated, controlled. But the uh, critics of modern agriculture like to say, oh, it's corporate farming, corporate farming. Folks, think about it this way. And that's why I said, please pass this on to your non-ag friends so they'll get at least an understanding of what we're up against and what we, what we are really doing out here. 97% of the farms in the United States are family-owned, family operations, family-controlled. It just happens that if they're of any consequence, if they're actually doing this as a business, not just you know a quarter of acre of uh, asparagus, you know, if you're really doing this legitimately for a business, you probably are incorporated, just like the place you take your shirts to get dry cleaned, or the Subway franchise owner that has four Subways, they're hardly what you'd call big sandwich, or big agriculture, or big dry cleaning, they just happen to be set up as a corporation. Eric made a good point there, the, the, the spirit of the law, the spirit, the intention is what we really need to make sure we're, we're looking at, not just the result of the, the spatting. This is a hugely capital-intensive business. The people that come into your office have millions of dollars of capital at risk. So the most important thing they get from the farm bill is price stability and a price floor. And we can say in economics, price floors don't work. However, 
if you want only 3.2 million people to produce the food for this United States of America, and let's admit it, about half of the 3.2 million aren't really producing much food. They're farms on paper that maybe have uh, 10 acres of, uh, of a hay patch or something. So really it's about a million to, to 2 million of the 3.2 million farmers that are really doing the bulk of the heavy lifting in terms of amount of production. They need a certain level of price floor because their numbers are so big, right? Correct. Talk about that. Well, year in, year out, um, over the past uh, decades, the return on investment for agriculture is usually between 3.2 and 4.1%. So, you know, how many people out there are putting, you know, five, six million dollars out at risk for a 3% return year in and year out? That's a, that's a real good number right there, and that's why I said if you happen to share this with someone that's not as familiar with the business of ag, because that's what we talk about here on this podcast, the business of agriculture, think about this. You want to produce a huge, uh, uh, you know, a, a huge return, you're probably not going to do it by being in production agriculture because you're putting $5 million at risk, and it may not be all five years. There's going to be some borrowed money. There's going to be some leverage money. There's going to be some capital, and there's going to be about a 3 to 4%. By USDA then at least creating a stable backdrop, these people can get their loans and produce the food. Yes. Stable backdrop. That's a good, very good way to put it. And that is because there is huge fluctuation. And then also since food and ag always gets used as a bargaining chip or a hammer on the global market, that's where we can have, you know, one fell swoop of a fight between China and the United States it's, it's not going to mean that we don't still have a demand for food. It just means that in the short term, we've just hammered the hell out of 10% of prices. What else do you see? Well, the conservation side. Um, that's, I should say, is a big factor now. Um, the CRP program, which was implemented in 1986, um, you know, we made a, a big thing with USDA you know, two years ago about it being in, in act. Your first, years. your first year with the United yes. States Department of Agriculture was the first year for the Conservation right. Reserve Program. Correct, and it's been um, it's been a, a good one for whether you're a, an owner of ten acres or a thousand acres. Um, the filter strips, the waterways, the food plots, the um, reestablishment of, of hardwood trees for future generations. Um, there's cost share and then an annual payment for to entice people to do some of these programs. And as many uh, do these things, they start enjoying uh, their farm maybe a little bit more because they, they look at long-term uh, aspects a little bit uh, more positive. We've talked about the Conservation Reserve Program, Eric. Uh, by the way, Eric Mason, my brother, in case you somehow turned away, got yourself a cup of coffee and just came back, USDA uh, Farm Service Agency Employee Executive Director for the Grant County, Indiana, as it is, and, uh, and number seven out of the nine Mason kids, uh, is my special guest. All right. Conservation Reserve, I've said the thing that most people don't understand that are critics of it, they say, oh, the government's paying you to not farm that ground. I say, technically, it's a contract between me and the federal government. I was paid to plant trees on it and maintain them at a certain uh, level of maintenance for the federal government. So it is actually a contractual arrangement. The government is renting that ground from me. I'm not getting paid to not farm something. I'm getting paid to put it in prairie grass or wetlands or clover or what have you. Correct. That is the... 
absolute correct way to look at that. Ten or fifteen year lease with the federal government, and the benefit is wildlife erosion control, buffer strips, water purity, etc. Yeah. What else is yes. your office? Okay, talk some more about your office. What USDA funds that the average taxpayer should be happy about? Uh, the the crop insurance um, is a, a safety factor for the producers. A lot of folks, in case you don't know this, a lot of folks um, are getting really, uh, they, they hear that something's happening. They hear, oh, there's subsidies. Oh, my tax dollars are subsidizing it. One thing that is accurate, your tax dollars do subsidize crop insurance, meaning you pay a part of the premium for a farmer to take out crop insurance. Now, the good thing is that means that if he has a failure through drought, hail, locusts, whatever, that means that he still can or she can at least keep the doors open and be alive to farm again next year. Why does the government fund crop insurance, Eric? Well, the, I guess, premiums are so high uh, that economically is not feasible at this point, um, one of the things I guess in the farm bill they're working on is trying to get it where it's uh, more economical for the grower out here at the local level to be able to pay that crop insurance premium and still stay in business. All right. How much is paid by the taxpayer and how much is paid by the operator? It's approximately 38% of that uh, crop insurance premium is paid by the producer. So 62% is paid by the United States Department of Agriculture, which is you, the taxpayer. So that one, I, I would also say, in the big picture, how much of it is the actual 80% uh, of your uh, USDA goes to nutrition, free food, stamps, uh, all that kind of stuff. 8% goes to crop insurance. What else? The commodity program uh, is based on the corn, soybeans, wheat, um, for our area, uh, peanuts, cotton, uh, rice are obviously the other parts of the country. They're the, those are predominant crops, but the price support. Um, so we do, you know, crop reporting each year and the producers come in and report what crops they have. And then the price subsidies, which is that price floor we were talking about earlier, is all based on the county yields and the county prices. <clears throat> There's an art argument made more so by people that lean left that the farm bill is all just about propping up big agriculture. And it says here, while research has shown that rural communities benefit from SNAP at significant rates, the merger of these two programs, because I'm going to give you some background here, people. Farm Bill was initially conceived as a response to the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. Remember, that was the 1930s. Things were pretty bad out here in rural America. And it was supposed to provide fair prices for consumers and farmers, and obviously access to quality food, protection of natural resources. Eric has just described that we're doing all of those things. In 1965, food stamps came about. Remember the Great Society programs from Linda Baines Johnson? And efforts to regulate and support, and then they combined this into our program. Now, since then, we've had some strange bedfellows. For instance, for instance, this very week, 30-some-odd hardcore right-winger Freedom Caucus uh, congressmen and women voted with Democrats, one, because they wanted there to be no immigration, and the other group because they protested cuts to free food. So 
interesting we made strange bedfellows. Eric Mason, should the programs be combined or separate? That debate has gone on for years um, because the food programs are related to agriculture is one of the reasons they've kept them uh, together. I am not that uh, informed on the legalities at the Washington, D.C. level um, to why they wouldn't be uh, two separate things. Um, but on one side, the ag sector says it, it all pertains to the food and the ag sector, therefore it should stay together. I've and said that it should probably be separated because while ag people say it creates demand, I say it's bastardized demand. That uh, means that now we're going to D.C. and lobbying to make sure that Tomato sauce gets included as a approved vegetable to be on pizza, and which counts as a vegetable for the school lunch, and yada yada, blah blah blah. The argument that these uh, USDA really just is all for big agriculture. Remember, as we say on this show all the time, if you want to demonize something, put the word big in front of it. Big banks, big tobacco, big ag. Uh, <laughs> does the USDA favor big agriculture? I say no. And I agree. I don't think so at all. The programs are set up that if, if you're too large and you make too much, you don't get any subsidies anyway. I just signed a paper this last week when I had to go in and sign up for my USDA programs. Uh, every year I have to go in and sign some paperwork. And one of them says, do you make more than $900,000 a year from another business or job? And if so, you are ineligible for any USDA programs, as an example. An example would be the the guy in your town that has a car lot, you know, and it's a big, successful, you know, used car lot. His average gross is going to take him out of eligibility for programs, and he may have the family farm of 200 acres out there that he and his sister inherited, and now he can't participate in any of the conservation programs, which are good for the land and uh, wildlife and water. Um but because he would be making probably way too much in his car lot sales. One article I'm reading here uh, that's very critical of it, and again, it leans left, says that the farm bill largely provides subsidies to farms that don't need them. Now, folks, I just want to point out here that uh, you, you listen to the Business of Agriculture podcast. You're going to know a, a few things, and I hope you do get some good information. When entities tell you what you do and do not need, I don't like being told what I do or do not need. I don't like people telling me that I don't need a, uh, a shotgun. I don't like groups telling me that I don't need a four-wheel drive. I should drive a Prius. I don't like anybody telling me I don't need to eat meat. And I surely don't know what I mean when they say that subsidies to farms that don't need them. Well, <laughs> does that mean they should all go to farms that are bad businesses that just are ready to go bankrupt? Does that mean they should go to only a certain size? That's their big argument that they believe that these farm programs should go more to small farms that liberals love to call sustainable. And I would say, well, does that mean that they are perpetual and can stay here forever? Because clearly, if they're going out of business, they must not be sustainable. Your thoughts? Well, when you talk small farm, um, often I tell people when they say fair and unfair, or, you know, I always say define fair. Well, define small. This debate has gone on now for several, probably the last three farm bills of small farms. Okay, well, we have programs set up for small farms. We have loan programs set up for small farms. 
it is used. It is. You used have loan lot. programs. The USDA it, also backs it, loans it, for small yep. beginning. Yep, small farms, beginning farms, veterans that are coming back from service that are going to get into agriculture, you know, so they can get started. But small farms, and when I sit here and you just said corporate farms, well, we got several corporate farms in my county, but they're all family. It's all family. It's all set up for legal entities and there's multiple reasons for legal entities but when you say small farms I we, we don't have any corporate farms in you know in our county other than family operations that have incorporated for for, other, for, for legal, legal or estate planning purposes yes, yes yeah a lot of folks get confused over that because it's really easy to then say do you know that these farms are all corporate farms well does that mean again that we set up an llc because my my sister works in town but she still wants to be involved and so we've got it so that she's a part owner but she's shielded from some of the liability should there be a uh, accident out here yeah that's um that's always the way this thing goes uh other discussions on the farm bill. You think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I think this is all going to come together. But there's talk that it won't happen because now we're into the summer season. You know, we're almost to June. And then they've got uh, re-election. Again, this is all political uh, can of worms. Yep. It's a political can of worms. And don't worry, folks. If it doesn't pass, we're going to stick with what we have. This one didn't, this one didn't come into being for a year after it was supposed to anyway. I'm trying to go with the forward part. Remember, you're listening to the business of agriculture. We promised you farm bill facts, fights, and moving forward. What else do we see moving forward? Well, the obviously, you know, the uh, wildlife groups are working hard to keep the conservation alive. You know, and the conservation groups are a lot of what have um, kept the conservation side of our programs um, out there for Washington, D.C. to see the benefits that, uh, that everybody sees. I see another good thing coming about with this farm bill. Because of the whole saber-rattling with China, and I had a whole episode about this, Ag, don't lose your mind. Don't freak yeah. out. We're not going to go broke. Don't run for the exit screaming fire. This is all negotiating with Canada, with Mexico, with South America, with, with China. This is what you call posturing, and it's going to – and it needed to change. Remember – China was at a $400 billion trade deficit to, uh, surplus with us. But we now, as a business, say all we want is to make sure we have our crop insurance and we have our price stability. I think this farm bill will be more cognizant of that, more aware of the need for that than the last one. Because the last one was crafted in 2014, heading into 2015. We are coming off of the best seven years this industry has had in the last 40 now there's going to be more awareness because of the tightness of margins. Am I right? Correct. So what do you see? Uh, I see the the national or international trade, sorry, um, being focused on a little bit uh, more intensely than it had been. And as you said, because of the trade deficits with other countries, um, our Trump administration, I guess, that's what they think uh, should be a target. So... Our international trade people are going to really work a lot harder and maybe opening up markets in other countries. Uh, I want to also tell you this whole thing, the debate over work requirements is going to go out the window. If it means that 
it'll end up being so watered down that 500,000 of the 41 million people that are on food stamps, and again, that's a that's a one one or two percent of the people might have to actually get kicked off the roll and the dole. I don't see that being a big deal. It's going to end up being an issue we cave on. People in agro say, oh, it's good as demand. You and I both disagree. I say that our biggest push should be let's not fight over that. Let's get the immigration argument removed from the damn thing. And let's go back to, if you want to talk about immigration agriculture, give us a guest worker program. The people picking strawberries need it. Well, and you just talk about that. Um, the, 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 Fruit or fruit and vegetable have come back to the Midwest. I think probably water fights out west, uh, growing seasons, other issues, but also demand. Our country demand, um, you know, more uh, locally grown as compared to import. So you know, right in this area, we have a lot of tomatoes growing. Well, there's a lot of mechani- mechanization in that now. However, there's still a lot of labor, and there's a lot of immigration uh, immigrant workers that are still here for those type of jobs and they work hard every day and they're here on call for these producers and you know they may come and work half a day and then uh, not you know work till in the evening and have to work another half day but they're there for our support. Well, if I was able to get the ear of Washington, D.C., I'd tell them, yes, if you want to put immigration in the mix on the farm bill, give us a guest worker program. Don't be arguing over this other stuff. Make DACA a completely separate thing. It has nothing to do with agriculture. But you know what? 1965, we started involving all kinds of things with the farm bill. It had nothing to do with agriculture. Talking to my brother, Eric Mason, here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Uh, we're running just a little long, but hey, this is important stuff. It's after all the farm bill. It's the, it's the 1% of the United States total spending that actually gets apportioned to us. And after all, we're pretty important. We keep them all fed. Eric Mason, closing thoughts, last ideas. I think it's uh, being at it for 32 years. Um, met a, and worked with a lot of wonderful people. Um, the corporate farm part you talk about is, you know, our local people out here, um, raising their families, running a business that are involved in their communities, their state. Um, the farm program is multifaceted and covers so many things. Yes. The food part, there's pros and cons, obviously all the way around for that. Um, that the world trade and keeping our markets open. We got more and more of our, our producers that are looking at specialty crops and the USDA, I can't say has a lot to do with that, but there are programs and stuff available. Uh, so like I said, 10 acres or a hundred acres or a thousand acres, um, it's something to look into and, and be aware of. One thing that we do on the business of agriculture podcast is we, We give information, we give insights, we give plenty of opinion. We obviously love our listeners. We also send them out with a little bit of love. First off, piece of advice, 32 years as a USDA guy, piece of advice that anybody in agriculture can glean, something that you've figured out from working in this industry for this long. I had a producer tell me one year when things, like you said, sometimes the doom and gloom pictures painted. And he was in a, a doom and gloom mood one night, and his father looked at him and said, USDA will be sure you stay in business. He goes, it's up to you to profit. 
and I think we can take that to any business in this country, is we want people to thrive. We want people to be profitable. We want people to succeed. And I see that a lot here in USDA, and every day is different. Every year is different. And it's great also seeing the next generation come in to take over family farms. So the mission is really for the USDA to make sure that we are, because agriculture made U.S. what it is, a fundamentally <laughs> prosperous agriculture industry is good for a country. Whether they make profits on them, but my golly, we're at least going to make it so that they don't go broke and fell swoop because 3.2 million farmers going out of business tomorrow would be pretty bad. On every little community in this country. And for our food supply and our national security. Yes. Thank you. My brother Eric Mason was our guest here. Thank you for joining us on the Business of Agriculture. And today, Farm Bill Facts, Fights, and Moving Forward. Do share this with your non-ag friends. I think we covered some good stuff that is some data that they can, and you know, they can pull this up also. I mean, I went to the USDA yep. website. I went to, uh, there's a House Ag Committee website, dear listeners. You might even check that out. They're going to keep you posted on what they're trying to do with getting this Farm Bill passed. Uh, but you know what? Don't jump off a cliff. We're going to be fine. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, my brother. Thank you very much. Everybody have a wonderful summer. We'll do it again. See you next time.